Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Natchang Rinpoche, Chapter 22, Part 3. Thing is, it's not even bravery. It happens too quickly. I don't consider the consequences. He was undermining Derek Crow, and I was simply impelled to come to his defence. But the main point for me is that you acted out of kindness in wishing to defend someone. I can accept that, apart from the fact that there's always the triumphal joy in the wit, and that detracts from the honourable intention. Then there's the question as to whether I would or could have said anything unless there'd been such a pleasurable opportunity to buy an ever so clever witticism. I think you can live with that without too much self-recrimination. We're all trying to be perfect, aren't we? It's not likely that we're going to succeed very soon and even when we do succeed our success will be sporadic or partial. It's a journey, we can't live the destination. But I was forgetting, with Zogchen the path is the same as the result. Yes, but that doesn't mean I actually practice Zogchen. All I can say is that I practice the practice. We sat in silence for a few moments, after which Annie Churying asked, there's just another thing, if you don't mind. Ask away. You said that you'd studied with Geshe Nyawang Dagye. Geshe, that's a Gelug title, isn't it? I nodded assent. Why were you studying with a Gelug Lama when you went to India to search for Nakpas? That's much simpler to answer than anything else you've asked. I went to India to study Buddhism and I've never been sectarian. I didn't know when I might find a Nakpa Lama and so I went to study at the most obvious accessible place. It made no difference to me which school it was. So I began the course but I never completed it. I was only a few weeks into it when I met Nakpa Yeshe Dorje and was plunged immediately into Dujum Tersa Nundro and the practice of Troma Nakmo. I learned a great deal from Geshe Nawang Dage, although it was less than a month of study, because I took the standard class and the advanced class at the same time. That must have been taxing. Good for you. Actually, it wasn't that taxing, really, other than the long periods of sitting cross-legged on a hard floor with a minimal piece of padding. It was all fairly straightforward because of my previous autodidactic immersion. I knew a great deal of the technical language from Buddhist books and from reading The Middle Way, the quarterly journal of the Buddhist Society. Of course, the main thing that was taxing was that it seemed to irritate some people that I attended the advanced class. They considered I wasn't qualified to attend. Then, of course, they were indignant that I left to study with Nakpa Yeshe Dorje.
Annie Churying grinned somewhat impishly. You certainly have a knack of upsetting people. I see that what has happened here isn't new to you. No, indeed, it's a familiar story. Can I ask you if you have ever run into similar situations? Annie Churying pondered with a wrinkled brow for a few moments and replied, Slightly similar, but I think my robes tend to protect me. It's considered very bad form to be hostile to the ordained, but expressions are easily read, as you read mine before. Still, I've had nothing close to the animosity that's been levelled at you. It's not bad, I smiled, and in any case, Kyabje Dudrum Rinpoche told me to expect it. He said that if I accepted his request to represent the Gurkha Changlo tradition in the West, that people would attack me for it. This is something of a series of revelations. I suppose there's no point in asking you how you feel about the idea of being attacked. No one gets out of here alive, I laughed. No, I'm not that courageous. I just don't dwell on the idea. Many wonderful things have happened too, and I have some extremely good friends. I feel extremely lucky, and the occasional person taking against me is nothing to get upset about. I imagine everyone has to deal with the slings and arrows of outrageous misfortune. Shakespeare. Yes, Hamlet's soliloquy although I delicately misquoted. And then I quoted. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep, no more. And by a sleep, to say, we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Perchance to dream, Annie Churying echoed, in a voice that carried some meaning I couldn't fathom. So I jested, Far be it from me to take arms against a sea of troubles, I'll just grab the nearest surfboard. Yes, I think you'll survive, Annie Churying smiled. But before I get sidetracked, I've been meaning to ask you, what were you reading? I'm not reading so much as looking at these two photographs of Linksang Gyalpo. I showed them to her. It was a photograph like this of Ajo Repa Rinpoche that first made me think of becoming a Nakpa. Well, no, that's not actually true. It's more that it made me want to meet Nakpas. I never had any idea that it was possible to become a Nakpa. It really is a remarkable photograph, Annie Churying commented with profound reverence in her voice. I can certainly see what would inspire you. 
this Lama just radiates such tremendous power. Are you drawn to power and the magical side of Vajrayana? No. Really? Then it might seem so from my fascination with these photographs, but no. My interest is largely atmospheric. Annie Churying shook her head slightly in confusion. Perhaps it might be better to say artistic or... I mean, looking at this photograph is like listening to Beethoven's Ninth Choral Symphony. That is also powerful and magical. And that is what I see in these photographs. What draws me is Dzogchen, silent or spacious sitting. The sky, the vast space of that view and practice. I'm not really much of a ritualist, even though I have practiced Mahayoga ritual and shall probably always practice it to a certain degree. I've met people who are drawn to power and magic and I don't really like what I see. Strangely, I never saw that in Nakpa Yeshe Dorje. Some of the Western people I've met, however, are more akin with Alistair Crowley than the Nakpas I've met. They seem to enjoy what they see as the similarities between Tantra and Satanism. I see no similarities. I've had the similarities pointed out to me, but all I see is their desire to see similarity. I see no similarity between armagnac and car battery acid. That's unfair, however, because at least car battery acid has a useful purpose. This led Annie Churying to asking me how I'd met such people, and that led to telling her about Gilbert and Elzeeb Harris and their sinister occultist approach to Vajrayana. This is something of an eye-opener. Annie Churying was evidently quite shocked. I would never have imagined anyone would be interested in Dharma from that perspective. But then Miller Raper studied black magic to punish his uncle and aunt for disenfranchising his mother and her family. Oh yes, I have heard about that, but only in passing. Do you know anything more about that? I don't know much in detail, but Miller Raper was born to a prosperous family in Kya Nyatsa. When his father died, Miller Raper's uncle and aunt appropriated the family wealth. So Miller Raper's family was left homeless and destitute. Miller Raper's mother, in desperation, urges him to go and study black magic with a sorcerer. This he does, and whilst his uncle and aunt are celebrating the marriage of their son, he takes revenge on them by summoning a giant scorpion to demolish their house. A score or more people are killed, although by some fluke his uncle and aunt survive. Milarepa then summoned a hailstorm that destroyed their barley crop. I heard teachings on this in much more detail, 
Like you, magic is not of primary interest to me, so I can't recall more detail than that. I'd actually heard these details, but I thanked her for her explanation and made no allusion to being acquainted with them. Did you know, Annie Churying inquired, thinking of perverted occultism, that Hitler and many of the Nazi hierology were occultists? Right, I pondered for a brief moment. I find that both surprising and unsurprising. Surprising at first, but then it starts to make sense of itself, but I can't really say why. Yes, it seems to fit. I think, I ventured, that the idea of black magic comes from a Christian origin. In terms of Vajrayana, there are simply processes of mantra and visualisation. There is no specific black magic as a destructive or coercive art that is separate from other practices. From what I know, it's the motivation that gives the colour ascription to the magic. There is no term black magic in Tibetan as far as I know. There's nyennak, that means, uh, nang means bad, unwholesome or mischievous and nak means mantra. There's also migtrul, which means visual illusion or conjuring tricks. Then there's gamche, which means something like effectuating an interference. There are all sorts of words, but none of them include the word black, unless it's a word I don't know. All these words, as far as I know, deal with how to avert hindrances to practice. Annie Churying shook her head with a slight chuckle. I thought you knew nothing about this. I don't, or rather, I know nothing based on any kind of fascination with manipulating power or having control over others. I'd just like to be able to control myself and steer my life in a direction that was in line with what Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche wishes. So why do you think some people want power and the ability to control others? Well, I think if one perceives that personally one lacks power, one might want to acquire it. If one has power or sufficient power to do what one needs to do, however, then why want power? Yes, Annie Churying nodded. It seems to me, I continued, that there are two ways to get something you haven't got. You can either work for it or you can steal it. It always strikes me that sorcery is some way of stealing it. If you steal it, however, somebody else has to go without it. And what is the sense in that for a Buddhist? or anyone else for that matter. Yes, that makes perfect sense to me. So even in terms of debate, I can't, if I can't convince a person through logic, why should I wish to convince them through occult means? That's entirely vapid.
If I have a point to make, I can make it. All that's required is a good understanding of the subject and a useful grasp of the English language. Quite. It reminds me of people who argued, almost as a sport at school. It seemed to be a competition as to who could win the argument. People seemed happy to win arguments whether they were right or wrong. It seemed that if people were extremely clever, they could simply win arguments merely by cleverness. And I found that puerile. So sorcery, to me, is winning arguments through cleverness rather than through wholesome intelligence and authentic knowledge. It's also like ad hominem, the shortcut to winning by humiliating another person on the basis of something that has nothing to do with the subject under discussion. And so says the fatuous fat fellow. Or my telling Dick Taylor that what he described sounded more like a Dick Taylorship. That was also ad hominem. Yes, but you weren't applying that as a shortcut to win an argument. It was just a comment made to validate another person. All right, I'll accept that. Most gracious of you. As to shortcuts, however, isn't Tundra described as the short path? Yes, it is, but it's also described as dangerous and I'm neither drawn to swiftness nor danger. My interest in Vajrayana isn't connected to it being a short, dangerous path. I walk coastal paths in Cornwall, but not because they're dangerous shortcuts. It's because I enjoy the view of the sea. And Zogchen? Zogchen is, of course, the instantaneous path, but I have no interest in acting as if I have attained the non-dual state. I feel it has more to do with being an artist. I relate through the arts. I'm not a scholar, mathematician or scientist, so I relate with Tantra visually. Visually? Yes, in terms of the Yidams, and to Zogchen in terms of the sense fields. I seem to understand Sutrayana as more scientific in its logic. Ah, yes, I see what you mean. <clears throat> but what about compassion? Do you see that as scientific too? No, but there are extensive teachings on compassion. For me, compassion is something quite simple. It's simply having a good heart and caring about others. It's not putting my own interests first. It's taking joy in helping others. Beyond that, I don't know what there is to explain. If there is more to explain, then it would seem to have to become a science rather than an art. That is the most unusual approach I have ever come across, but it makes complete sense to me, even though it leaves me with a, a host of questions that aren't quite formed yet. Can we talk more about this later? Yes, we could. 
and we did. Annie Chuying found me to be a continual series of surprising juxtapositions. I was never quite what she expected I might be, but then, nor was she. She had none of the monastic frostiness or somewhat morbid selflessness of the Western monastics I'd met. She was a straightforward, down-to-earth person who took her practice seriously. She had no axe to grind and no agenda. She could challenge me, but never with any sense of wanting to get the better of me. She had no interest in status. She had no axe to grind. She had no edge, angles or hard-wired attitudes. No predisposition to anything that caused any sort of interpersonal awkwardness. Our conversations were always entirely natural and wholesome. She was entirely unlike any other Western Buddhist I had ever met.